please do take your seats. Um, and as you do so, if you've closed your Bible up already, uh, please do open it back up um, at Psalm uh, 45, which is on page 569. Uh, you will need that um, as we're going through, um, through, through Psalm 45 this evening. Um, shall I just pray uh, as, as we begin? Father in heaven, uh, we've just sung about how uh, you have laid for us a foundation for our faith in, in your word. So as we um, open it up to study it tonight, we pray that we would know just how firm a foundation um, it is. And we pray that as we look at Psalm 45 tonight, that you would, you would speak to us. And we pray that you would reveal uh, who King Jesus is to us tonight. And we pray that you'd help us by your, by your spirit to understand and apply your word. And help me too as, as I speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Earlier this year, in March, I think it was, Ed Sheeran released his, uh, his latest album. You might, you might have it. I don't. Um, but his first song from the album, the first promo song, was called How, How Would You Feel? Um, it shot to number one in the digital downloads uh, chart. And it's, it's a love song. Apparently, actually, it's his, his girlfriend's favorite, favorite love song. Um, and in it, he asked her how she would feel if he told her that he loved her. So he sings, it's just something that I want to do. I'll be taking my time spending my life falling deeper in love with you. So tell me that you love me too. It's not just Ed Sheeran songs that we hear uh, about loving. We're surrounded by a culture um, that longs for love. We, we love talking about love. And we write songs um, and books about it. We watch films about how people find it. And every time we, we get on the tube, we sit down in front of us, there's an advert for eHarmony or, or Match.com promising that if we use their services, we're going we're gonna to find love. Love actually is all around us. <laughs> this, uh, this isn't just a, a modern phenomenon. Uh, it's not just in 2017. 400 years ago, Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet, the classic love story, tragic love story, really. Even earlier than that, the, the ancient Christian bishop, Augustine, wrote about how our hearts are restless. We long for love. And the reason is love is, love is good for us. It affirms us. It helps us to be understood. We're, we're accepted by someone despite our faults and our failings. You might have seen the classic love film, The Notebook. In it, Noah writes, love awakens the soul and makes us reach for more. It plants a fire in our hearts and brings peace to our minds. It's very moving, isn't it? Love is good for us, but love is also pain. To love is to be vulnerable. C.S. Lewis wrote, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. You might have experienced the pain that love brings. Um, I have. Some, some of you will know uh, my story. Um, I knew the pain of love when someone I loved told me that she didn't love me anymore. And in another Ed Sheeran song, he sings about the pain of, lo of lost love. He sings, we, we keep this love in a photograph. We made these memories for ourselves where our eyes are never closing our hearts are never broken, and time's forever frozen still. And he's longing to go back to a time when a photo was taken before love was lost. And for some of us, it's actually the promise of love that's painful. We would love to love, we would love to know love, but it just eludes us. You might think, no, no, one, no one could possibly love us. We're not, we're not worthy of love. We might be tempted to exalt love and marriage in our minds to such a high level that it's our primary, primary thoughts. 
If it's honest, it might be a secret motive, longing um, that we seek to motive for, for so much um, for, of what we do. If we know love, if, if we're married, there's a risk that our security is bound up in our marriage, that our marriage or, or maybe our spouse is a thing that's going to somehow save us, somehow complete us. You might be thinking, Alex, that's, okay, fine, but what on earth has that got to do with Psalm 45 uh, this evening? Well, I think actually quite a bit. I mean, this psalm helps us um, to resolve some of the questions, some of the problems our culture throws at us about love. It actually points us to a greater love and a great day that is to come. See, this psalm is a, is a love song. It was written to be sung at the wedding of a king of Israel. So, this evening, as we look at Psalm 45, we're going to ask the question, what does it mean for us as individuals and as a church in London in 2017 in a culture that is truly, madly, deeply obsessed with love? What does it tell us about our innate longing for love? And where are we going to find those longings to be satisfied and tonight we're going to discover a groom we want to marry the bride we want to be and the wedding we want to be at so you'll have one uh, one of these green uh, little sheets on your uh, on your on your seats uh, do follow along with that um, do write notes if that is helpful for you as well firstly then the groom you want to marry one of the one of the highlights um, for me at weddings is when the best man stands up, normally around supper time, isn't he? He kind of stands up, he kind of nervously shuffles, he's got some papers there. He kind of glances down at the groom and the groom kind of looks up and thinks, oh no. And basically his job is basically just to, uh, to roast the groom, totally roast him, maybe by telling some embarrassing anecdotes about what he's done. But we actually see the exact opposite in this psalm. Let's read from verse one. My heart is stirred by a noble theme, as I recite my verses for the king, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Just imagine the day with me here. All of Israel have been looking forward to this day. Why? Well, it's the day of the big wedding. The king is getting married to the princess. It's a bit like the royal wedding we had here um, a few years back. We'd, we'd all have the day off. We'd kind of everyone get excited about it. We'd all gather around the TV uh, to watch it. And the writer of the psalm is, is clearly excited. His heart is stirred by a noble theme, by, by love, the love of the king and his bride. And so he goes on to praise the king. Let's read on from verse 2. This is to the king. You, you, king, are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace, since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor. And majesty. Let's just imagine what this king is like then. He's described here as the most excellent of men. The words that come from his lips are full of grace to his people. God has blessed this king and the people are blessed to have such a king. No one else in the kingdom comes close to him. And here we are on the morning of his wedding day. He dresses in, in his best clothes. This, it's not just like a, a, nice, a really nice suit from from Savile Row. No, his clothes are even better than that. They are splendid. They're, they're majestic. He, he has a sword, which is a symbol of his might. It's, it's sheathed on his waist. He looks the part. He's mighty. This king here is impressive. And he's victorious. Let's carry on reading. Verse 4. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously on behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. 
Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. So let's picture him again here, dressed in the finest of clothes, his sword is by his side. He climbs onto his beautiful horse and he rides out victoriously. All the people know that in previous battles, this king has been victorious and he's going to be victorious again in the future. And his battles in the past have not been kind of for territory, they've not been for money, they've not been for, for power or to prove the king is mighty. Now we read here, the king's battle is for truth, it's for humility, it's for, for righteousness. This king is he's concerned with the protection of his kingdom. He's concerned that his kingdom is right with God. And the people, they love this king. You can just kind of imagine them lying in the streets as he, as he, as he marches down on, the, on his horse. They're kind of hoping for a glimpse of him. Perhaps they're even waving little Union Jack flags for him. Why is that? Well, he's done awesome deeds. It says here, he's done awesome deeds. Literally, he's been doing God's work. What is God's work? Well, he's secured the kingdom. He's brought protection to the people. His sharp arrows have pierced the hearts of his enemies. And we read, the nations have fallen beneath the might of this king. No, no one compares to this king. He, he speaks with grace, but he's mighty. He's clothed with splendor and majesty, yet he battles for humility. He is blessed by God forever. This king's kingdom is secure, and he has it all. And today, it is his wedding day. No wonder the psalmist is so excited. You might have heard of the saying, every man wants to be him, and every woman wants to be with him. That's actually said about James Bond. But I think, actually, it's, it's a fairly accurate description of this guy. He's an attractive king. The men of Israel would look up to him and, and long to be him. And the women would look up to him and wish that it was him um, that they were marrying today. But who, who is this king? Who actually is this guy? Now, obviously, this psalm would have been written about a king in Israel's history at some point. We don't know which one. But there would have been a king, a good king, like this. But they also point us forward to another king. So if you just turn over the page, and we're going to read from verse 6. It says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. If we were to take our Bibles and skip forward to the, to the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 there, these very verses from Psalm 45 are used to describe King Jesus. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that God the Father speaks these very verses over Jesus. So yes, this, this would have been written about an historic king of Israel. But they also describe for us um, who King Jesus is. In fact, the whole psalm points us towards King Jesus. And this is great. I mean, it means that we can use the words found in this psalm to describe who Jesus is. So we're going to do that. From verse 2, he is the most excellent of men. No one else compares to Jesus. His lips are full of grace. And we see that actually, don't we, in the way he speaks to people throughout the Gospels. He is blessed by the Father 
forever. Seated with him, him in heaven where he is clothed with splendor and majesty. In verse 3. He is mighty. We remember the awesome deeds that Jesus did while he was here on earth. He healed the sick. He, he raised the dead. He calmed the fiercest of storms. Jesus is mighty. From verse 4. Victory is assured for Jesus. He has secured his kingdom forever. Verse 6, this will be a kingdom ruled by justice that is right with God. In this kingdom there will be no more sin to separate us from him. Verse 7, it will centre around King Jesus. He will be lifted high above um, his companions, above everyone else in heaven. In fact, that Verse 8, which is slightly odd, but even tells us that King Jesus is going to smell good. His kingdom will be a kingdom of music, of worship that makes the king glad. Earlier, um, Claire read uh, to us from, um, from Revelation 19. And these verses speak to us about the future wedding that is to come. One day, it is going to be King Jesus' wedding day. And he's going to clothe himself with splendor and majesty. He's going to ride forth victoriously. But who's going to be his bride? Who's going to be his royal bride? Who's going to be standing at the king's right hand, adorned by the finest of gold, like the princesses here in verse 9? Revelation 19 tells us that it is us. It is his church. One day we will be united to Jesus. And as Christians, this is, this is our hope. This is the future hope that we have. And to show us a, a little glimpse of what the future holds for us, God has given us the gift of marriage. He brings together a man and a woman. They make a covenant with one another to love um, and to cherish one another. They give one another a ring um, as a symbol of unending love and faithfulness. It's just a beautiful image that God has given to us to show what it'll be like on that day in Revelation 19, when we will be joined with this king eternally. When you're at school, you might have done that, that experiment where you get a handful of old 2p coins and um, they're kind of really old, they're dirty, they're grimy, you hold them up, you can't even see the queen, they're that dirty. And um, you kind of, you, you throw them into a tub of, of Coca-Cola and after a couple of hours, um, you pour out the Coke and you take the coins out and they're, 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 as, they're as good as new. All of the, all the grime has somehow been kind of washed away and the, there's the queen, she's beaming at you. You can see her this time. And this, this psalm kind of does a similar thing for us. It reveals who our king is. It shows us King Jesus. It, it kind of, it shows us what kind of a king he is and what he has done for us. It reminds us that no one compares to him. Our, our culture kind of muddies up what, what love is and and where we can find it. It pushes us towards love. It tells us that we really should love someone, and we really should find someone who, who loves us. Love, love is the goal in, 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 uh, in many books, in many songs, and in films. These verses, though, show us the one who we should set our hearts upon. They show us King Jesus, and no, no one's like him. We can't, we can't use these words that we, we find in Psalm 45 to describe anyone else. So however we've come this evening, whatever our relationship here, status here is tonight, whether, whether we're married or single, 
Um, it's easy for us to be tempted to love something more, someone more than Jesus. It might be our spouse, our future spouse, or, or someone else. But these verses remind us who King Jesus is. So let us, let's remember who he is. Let's make sure that our love for him eclipses our love for anyone else. Why is that? Because he is the ultimate groom. So next, the bride you want to be. So the psalm here kind of shifts from uh, praising the king to speaking to his royal bride. Let's read on from verse 10. Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honour him, for he is your Lord. I mentioned earlier the um, ancient Christian bishop, Augustine. Um, he spent a lot of his life kind of running around searching for fulfilment in, in pleasure, in, in sex, in false religion, in philosophy. Until one day he was reading the book of Romans in the Bible. And whilst reading it, he realised that only God could satisfy his longings, his deepest desires. Thinking about this a few years afterwards, he wrote um, the famous words uh, to God, reflecting. He said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. God has, has planted a longing within all of us for, for love to be accepted. And he has done that so that we reach out for him, so that we search for him, the one who can fulfill that longing completely. But we live in a culture that refuses to accept it, that he can, he can do that for us. So we are tempted to go looking for love and acceptance ourselves. We, we run after sex or money or possessions, status, popularity, all in an attempt to make us feel valued. Or maybe we don't do that at all, actually. Maybe we don't spend our time running after those things. We feel like we're worthless. We feel like we're never going to be of any value to anyone. Verses 10 and 11 speak to us here. Whether we're running around trying to find love and acceptance and value or, or whether we feel that like we, can, we can never be loved by anyone. They tell us to listen, consider, think about this, the old comforts we had. So the, for the princess, here, her old comforts were um, her people, her, her father's house in verse 10. For us, maybe our old comforts are, are sex or money or, or family, I don't know. But these verses tell us the old comforts we have, put, put them behind you, forget them. Don't love them above your love for the king. They may have been really good for you. They may have been absolutely terrible for you. There is someone much greater, Jesus, the king, who is absolutely enthralled by you. He desires your beauty. He desires his church. And you might, you might think, how, how can this be? What, what value am I to him? I'm, I'm a sin. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm not beautiful. I, I can't offer him this mighty king, anything. Why, why does he long for me? Look around. Why does he long for a church of broken, messy people? Well, in, um, in the book of Isaiah, in the Bible, the people of God at that time were a mess. They had turned their backs on God. They were worshipping other gods. They were looking for protection, comfort, and 
ultimately, they were looking for value from, from other false gods. They, they were sinners. So much so that God considered their feeble attempts to do good work as just filthy garments. Not just like rock, when you're playing rugby and you get a bit muddy. No, this is filthy. God's people were repugnant to a holy God. But look here, what we see in this psalm. Look at the contrast here. Here we read that King Jesus is enthralled by God's people. And rather than wearing filthy garments, the bride of Christ is described as glorious. Let's read on. Verse 13. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to her. Verse 8 from our passage in, in Revelation 19 said that the bride will be given fine, bright, clean, clean linen to wear. So the question is, here, what, what causes a change from filthy garments to fine linen? What makes us beautiful when we are not? What gives us value when we feel like we have none? Well, it's the very fact that the king desires us. He longs to be with us. As Augustine said, you, God, have made us for yourself. We are made by him to be with him. And he fights for us. King Jesus fights for us. He's victorious for his church. The king, Jesus, as he died on the cross, a sharp arrow, he shot sharp arrows into the hearts of our enemies. For sin, he paid the penalty for our sin, releasing us from its bondage. For our enemy Satan, he defeated him and made a way for us to come to the Father. Three days later, we know that um, he rose again, defeating death, so that death has no sting for us. We can live with Jesus forever. So who makes us beautiful when we're not? Jesus, who gives us value when we have none. Jesus, who satisfies our longing for, for love. It's Jesus, who takes away our filthy rags and clothes us in fine linen. It's Jesus. This is, isn't just to say that somehow our outer appearances are, are changed. You know, it's not like we get some nice new clothes or something and we kind of present some respectability to, to the world. No, this is, this, is, this is more than that. It's a change within us. We're made beautiful within. Ephesians 5 says that, that we, the church, one day will be without sin, stain, without wrinkle, without any other blemish, but we will be holy and we will be blameless. And so our hearts are no longer drawn to sin, they're no longer drawn to, to former comforts, they're drawn to King Jesus. Well, what is our response to this? Well, we see in verse 15 that the princess and her wedding party are led to the palace of the king with joy and gladness. Now, I'm going to confess uh, something to you now, and I'd appreciate it if you don't share this too widely, but um, I, I'm, I'm a weeper. Um, I, I weep at weddings, okay? Um, and the bit of the day that always gets me is, is when, the, when the bride is, is coming down the aisle, and you kind of just... I can't believe I'm telling you this. You kind of just, you look around, <laughs> you look around to her and you just see her and she, she looks beautiful, stunning. 
and she's, she looks a bit nervous, but she's got the biggest beam um, on, your fa- on, on her face. I just think, wow, she's been waiting so long for this moment. She's been looking forward uh, to this, and, and here it is. Uh, so there's my confession. Uh, please don't share that too widely. Um, next year, my sister is getting married, and I'm going to make sure that um, I have some man-sized tissues uh, nearby. Um, but one day, we too are going to be led into the king's presence. On that, on that future day, just, just like a bride walks towards her groom. And we're going to do so with, with great joy and gladness. We're going to have a beam across our face as we do. Because we, we know that we're going to be with our glorious king forever. Nothing is ever going to be able to come between us and him. So as as we wait for that day, just as the bride waits for the day of her wedding, let, let's, let's be excited. Let us be people of joy and gladness now. The day is coming. You know, we, we may feel at times that like we're unloved or un, unvalued. and We may be tempted to look for others, to others for, our, for our value. As a church, as a whole, we, we might think you know, the, world, the world is against us, maybe it even hates us. But let us... Let the thought that Jesus makes us beautiful bring us joy and gladness. And one day we shall be with him. We shall see him. The world, the world might not see us um, as valuable, but King Jesus does, and he is enthralled by us. So our final point this evening, the wedding you want to be at. In our final verses, the psalmist here kind of changes from addressing the, uh, the princess, um, the bride, uh, to addressing the king again. Let's read from verse 16. He says, Your sons, this is to the king, your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. So we see two promises that the king uh, will see here. Firstly, the king's kingdom is going to grow. His children, his descendants will become princes throughout the whole earth. Second promise we see, his kingship will never be forgotten. Nations will praise this king forever and ever. We see that um, from our reading in Revelation 19, don't we? There is a, a great multitude at the wedding, people from, throughout, people from throughout the whole earth are at this wedding. The kingdom has grown. And they're all there, praising the king. Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. And the angel then says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love them. Um, I love getting posts, but the only thing I seem to get at the moment is kind of falls through the letterboxes, bills or statements, just, just boring stuff, really. So I love it when a handwritten letter drops through the door and I kind of open it up and it says something along the lines of, the pleasure of your company is requested to celebrate the marriage of someone, someone. Um, and we find here in, in Psalm 45 a, a similar invitation. Verses 10 and 11 invite us to forget our former comforts and come to the wedding of the king the king who is enthralled with you we are all invited to this wedding supper more than that we're actually more invited to be involved we're invited to um, join christ's church to be his 
bride. If you're not currently a Christian here this evening, this invitation is extended to you. Have you accepted Christ's invitation? If not, can I urge you to do so? The king encourages you to come to him. And he promises that whoever comes to him, no matter their their faults or their failings or how invaluable they feel, he will not cast them away. The Bible, earlier on in Revelation, tells us what it means to be with Christ. It says that one day those who have accepted this invitation will never again hunger, never again thirst. The sun will not beat upon them. The Lamb, Jesus, will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the invitation that is extended to us. Will you take it? If that's something you'd like to do uh, this evening, do come and chat to, to me at the end of the service. If you're here and you have already accepted Uh, this wedding invitation, you're following the king. There is is much encouragement to be found here in Psalm 45. For some of us, it will be that hearing that Jesus makes us beautiful despite our our sin or feelings that we're we're not valuable. Love might be a, this might be a painful topic for you. Uh, It has been for me. and um, Maybe you're you're single, maybe maybe that hurts. But there's comfort to be found here in, um, in Psalm 45. Find comfort in knowing that as Christians, we already have the one spouse that can truly love us. No one can love us like he does. No one can do for us what he has done for us. And if we do desire marriage here, let's, let's keep our ultimate spouse in mind. Let's pursue marriage with wisdom. Let's ask, for example, a question. Will our potential husband or wife help us to love King Jesus more? those here that are uh, are married uh, be encouraged be amazed god has chosen to display a small glimpse of the future marriage that is to come through you so how do you encourage your spouse to look forward to that day and remember as well that your, your spouse cannot do for you what jesus has done for you they're not able to satisfy your deepest desires they're they're not your savior look instead to king jesus the encouragement for us as a church corporately are no different let us look forward to that day together let us encourage one another with the hope that we have this is good news let's be joyful let's be glad let's be excited about the coming day together and let us help one another as we do that let's help one another to also extend this invitation and um, to our friends to our neighbors for our work colleagues this invitation is for them too Psalm ends in, in verse, uh, verse 17 by, in, by saying that the nations are going to praise the king forever and ever. I think that actually is the perfect response to who he is and what he has done for us. And so just in a few minutes, uh, we're going to sing a couple of songs and do just that. But as we, as we finish, um, shall I lead us in prayer? Would you like to join me? And let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for King Jesus. Thank you for, you for the future hope that we as Christians have 
that one day we shall, we shall be with him. Uh, we will be united to him, fi- finally and fully united to him. Um, on that day, uh, there'll be great praising, there'll be rejoicing. For you have taken us, sinners, uh, people rebellious to you, and you've, you've changed us, changed us enough that we can um, be called the bride of Christ. So we ask God that you would help us when we face trials and struggles in this life, uh, when we feel unloved, when we feel unvalued, when we feel tempted to run um, after other gods. Help us instead to remember Christ, to remember this King, to look forward to that day with joy and gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Alex said, what better way to respond than to praise um, our great God. These songs uh, sing of that great future hope that we have, um, being with Christ in glory. So let's stand to sing these closing two songs. <laughs>